Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and uh, what a joy it is to preach the good news to you. May God bless your ears and heart that you have the hope and peace that we have in Jesus Christ, and that the Lord changes your view of the world, that you see things as He does with the love of His Son, Jesus. If you want to support His mission here at St. James through Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org and donate. Thank you for listening. What do you think I see? Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Look, the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. You can sit. Isn't that cool how it works? Christ rises, you get to sit. Jesus does all the work, he'll die and rise for you, you relax. That's literally Christianity. Don't let anybody tell you different, by the way, and rob the rest Christ has won for you. The second century Roman poet Juvenal invented this phrase or made this phrase popular, the black swan. I think the whole phrase was, that's a rare bird like a black swan. And the idea is, whenever something does not exist, but someone acts as if it does, it's called a black swan. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. It doesn't happen. It never happened. It's not real. So no one thought there was a black swan. Juvenal says this, and it was used, and it worked because all swans were white. They didn't know anything else. That's all they ever saw. And it's not like they didn't see anything. Empirically, that's what swans were, white. And to say a black swan, that means it's something that does not occur. And so this phrase kind of became popular whenever someone talked about something that was ridiculous. And you'd say, that sounds like a black swan. doesn't happen. Until 17th century, it's a popular phrase. English explorers are in Australia. And what do they see? A black swan. And it changed their whole view of what a swan is. They're not just white, they're also black. You've got to add that to the understanding of swans. It changes your whole reality in a sense. Something that never happened, doesn't exist, suddenly does, unprecedented, wasn't predicted, and now the whole concept of what does it mean to be a swan changes. This happens in life something unprecedented, not predicted, an occurrence, an actual fact, not something you think, just because you think it doesn't mean it can be true. It just happens, and it changes your whole world. There's bigger things than just a black swan. Nassim Taleb, an economist, writes a wonderful, wonderful book called The Black Swan uh, in uh, like 2007 or so, and his idea is that everything in history, all sort of new ways of thinking, occur because Something happens that changes your whole worldview. You didn't look for it, you didn't ask for it, but a discovery or an occurrence, an event, unpredicted, unprecedented, happens, and it changes how you look at things from then on. And he would talk about the stock market crash and things like this, uh, the housing crash in 2008. I love that because I think it's very much true. And if there's a, a, a black swan, if there ever was a black swan, it's a guy walking out of the tomb three days later. He is risen. Hallelujah. And that ought to change 
your paradigm, your worldview <laughs> when someone rises from the dead, right? What more black swan event is this? We see the two, uh, three women coming there. Mary Magdalene, she's coming because Jesus is the only family she has, and he became a family to her. And Mary, the, the mother of James and Salome, and, and then also uh, who was, who was uh, with them, uh, just the two here, and they're, br- they're bringing spices. I'm oh, sorry, Salome's coming. And uh, they're bringing spices because they were interrupted. Jesus died, they buried him, but they had to stop because of the Sabbath, right? You can't work on the Sabbath. So that's why they're coming early in the morning, almost as early as when we ran our race uh, this morning at 6 a.m. It was dark out, and they're going to a tomb. And there's no black swans in their reality. There's no people, nobody rising from the dead in their reality. A graveyard is full of dead people. A tomb is closed. And it's a place of mourning. That was their reality. And Mark tells us as they're coming up, they're discussing this. And they're asking each other this. And I, think it's, I don't think it's just a matter of fact question. They ask each one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And yeah, it's a practical question. They never even thought about that. Usually you bury someone, you have the opportunity to put the spices, the good smells on them because they start stinking after a while and straighten up the body because you love that person. You want them to lay and rest in dignity, but they didn't have that chance. So they're coming and they're thinking death and they're thinking sadness and they probably hadn't stopped crying since Friday. Who will roll away that tomb? But I wonder if that question or that stone, I wonder if that question's deeper. Who's going to roll that stone away of life? That barrier between me and my loved ones. Who's going to change the way this world goes? The paradigm that we live in where sinners stay sinners and guilt stays on you and the dead stay in their tomb. Who's going to roll that stone away? Who's going to let in some sunshine? Who's going to fix things? And they probably thought it was going to be Jesus And I'll bet a week earlier they would have said, Jesus, can you roll this stone away? But now Jesus is inside. And as they're coming up, Mark says that their eyes look up. I love how their eyes were down because that's what it's like. You are down and you are in darkness. And I think we've been living like that for a year. Our head down. And they look up, and they see that the stone has been rolled away. And they go in, and a man dressed in white looks at them and says the same words we just said. Don't be alarmed. They're kind of freaking out. Stone's out. There's a guy in there, and he's alive. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified He has risen. He's not here. Empirical evidence, look. See the place where they laid him. He's not there. This is not a dream. It's not a vision. It's not an idea, a philosophy. It's not a ghost. 
He physically is not there. Now go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you, because that's what Jesus does. He always goes before. He dies before you. He rises and clears the way and brings you along with him. And there, the angel says, you will see him with your eyes. Not existentially. You're going to look at him with your eyeballs. Just as he said, black swan. Never thought that was going to happen. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament isn't full of prophecy saying that one day death is going to be gone. One day we're going to rise again. One day a Savior is coming. But it's so crazy that you just aren't going to believe that, right? And Jesus had told him time and time again, I'm going to die and rise. But you're not even listening because you're in this paradigm. And you can't get out of it. That's the joke. You're in the tomb. You're the one in the grave. And the stone's in front of you. They go out after hearing this. Look, look, what's the response? They went out and they fled from the tomb. <laughs> For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And Mark ends his gospel there. And I think that's real. I think that's what happens when something that does not happen in your reality occurs. You don't just go along with it. It blows your mind. It's frightening. Good news is actually frightening. Did you know this? The children of Israel were frightened when they were freed. Because they knew how to be a slave. They didn't know how to be free. We know how to deal with death and we know how to cry. We know how to have build funeral homes and make money off it, the whole nine yards. We don't know what it feels like to not be afraid of death. That black swan event changed their reality, and at first it is shocking. Christ is risen. That should scare you a little bit physically risen from the dead and promises you will rise too. That is the Christian hope for all humanity. Christianity is not a religion. It's a reality. It's everything. It's universal. Every atom in the universe is well aware that Christ is risen and it's going to be okay. This is our new paradigm. It revolves around this black swan event that was unprecedented and not predicted because it seems ridiculous, but that in no way has anything to do logically with whether it happened or not. It happened. More than 500 people saw it. These women saw it, experienced the touch, taste, ate with Jesus. And it changed their world. Not right away, though, did it? How does it change your vision? How does it change how you categorize things and deal with the world? Because it really should. If indeed death is not the end, <laughs> that changes everything. And St. Paul says in chapter 6 of Romans, really clear, if you're wondering what Jesus' resurrection has to do with you, he says, don't you know whoever is baptized into Christ Jesus is united to his death? He's, you're dead you died painlessly in Christ 
to sin. You're forgiven. You're freed. The demands of the law are gone from you. And St. Paul also says, don't you know, if you've been united with him in a death like his, so shall you be united with him in a resurrection like his. Christ is risen, but you're going to rise too. Pandemic? Going to be fine. Job loss, unemployment, underemployment. I don't say this easily, by the way. I'm in no way saying that I don't like to be without, et cetera, and it's tough. Absolutely. That's why we have one another. That's why we have church service every Sunday, because we need to continually be told about this reality and have the stone rolled away and have an angel, a pastor, a friend say, look, he's not here. It's going to be okay. But that should change the way that you deal with challenges, whatever that might be, even death itself. It's going to be all right. May God bless you with that that vision to see the world differently where it's, I mean, I know it's a cliche, but obstacles are opportunities. Death isn't the end. So we can be bold in life. We can be joyful even in sorrow. In fact, because we know, and only because you know that death is not the end, you're going to be okay, suffering now becomes something that benefits you. Suffering actually becomes something that forms you because it's not the end. Suffering is not a sign of the end. It's a sign of purifying and working on you to get you to focus on the real joys in Christ and the future that you have. But you know what? The resurrection of Jesus to me is not the craziest thing that we know about God and written about in Holy Scripture. That is not the ultimate black swan event, I don't think. The ultimate, ridiculous, unprecedented, no one would predict events that happen in real time in history is God on a cross. That's insane. For sinners, not dying for the good people, the nice people, the kind people, which I know you all are, but for sinners, for every thought in your head, for every word that you've said, for every deed that you've done, Christ died for each and every one. He knows exactly who you are, and in the, his blood forgives, and God welcomes back. That's insane. And that should change the way that you look at reality, too. That's reality. Reality is death is not the end. You're going to rise. And reality is that God actually did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it. And that Jesus died for sinners. And that you are free. And you are forgiven. How does that change the way you look at the world? When you leave here, the way you look at yourself, when you look in the mirror, you see the junk you've done, you can be honest now. You don't need to disguise your sin to yourself or to God because you can be honest about it because it's bought by Jesus. That's why he died. And you look at other people differently, not as enemies and not as people who are lost in sin or just different. They're they're just, they'll never be a Christian. They don't get this. That's fine. No, they are all people that God loves, and they're all possibilities, and they're all people that Jesus died for. And how dare we be judgmental when we are in by the skin of our teeth as well, by the mercy of God. That changes your world too, doesn't it? May it change it. So these ladies are freaked out. 
because it's easier to be a slave than to be free. I promise you that's a fact. But eventually, did they do what the angel told them to do? Your proof. You are here because those wonderful women directed by the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, went and they told those disciples. And those disciples told others. And Jesus collected them together and told them to go out into the world to make disciples and to tell people that the war is over, that forgiveness is free, and there is a resurrection and there is hope. Because there are people today who are asking that same question, who's going to roll that stone away? Your neighbor, your friend. Who's going to, the political situation, if we've learned anything this past year, it is that if you had hope that, that it was going to be, that, that the political system would somehow save humanity, or, or if you had hope that even medicine would eventually save humanity, if you had hope that technology would eventually progress, Hegel's wrong. There is no evolution of humanity. Jesus is right, and he gives free hope. He removes the stone. And people out there more than ever, I think, don't have that hope. They've lost it a little bit this past year. And you know who can roll that stone away, who has done it in your life, and who will do it in theirs. In Jesus' name. Amen.